Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the Message Trust. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing, check out our website, message.org.uk. I've only got 40 minutes. I think I've got a lot to say, so I'm going to go straight for it. Is that okay? If you don't know me, ask somebody else. Ask the person who bought three tapes. At least one person knows who am I. They can do the introduction. I want to talk to you today about becoming mighty on the inside. Mighty in spirit, strong on the inside. And I want to start with a story. Uh, it's a Bible story. You'll know it well. You may have used it yourself. It's in 1 Samuel 17. Let me set the context of the story on two different mountaintops with a valley in between are lined up two armies. The Philistines are on one side, the Israelites are on the other side, and they have a face-off every single day, morning and night, for 40 days. There's no fighting has taken place. They just line up against each other, and pretty much the Israelites get scared, and the Bible says, you can read it in 1 Samuel 17, it says that they are dismayed, they are terrified, and it says they run away. I mean, that's not good for team morale. You have an army, they come out, and actually, you read it in the passage, they come out banging their shields, smacking their spears on the floor, chanting their war cry, but just a few moments later, they run away, and the reason they run away, there's one man that steps out from the Philistine side. He's somewhere between nine and 11 foot tall, the Bible says he's been trained as a warrior since his youth. And he comes out, I mean, the, the weaponry and shield, and the, the weaponry and the armor he's carrying is heavier than I am. That's just what he's wearing. So he has a man in front of him carrying a shield for him. I mean, it's crazy if I went into the description of what is facing the Israelites. And he says, he shouts out a defiance, hey, how about we don't all fight today, you just send one person to fight me. I'll fight them, whoever wins, their side wins and the other side concedes to them. It sounds like a great idea, apart from the guy shouting out the challenge, defying the Israelites is bigger than any person they've ever seen before. He's a bloodthirsty warrior that actually probably enjoys killing people, seeing blood, and doing it maybe in a gruesome way. Trained in warfare, violence, battle since he was a kid. So that's the context of this scene I'm about to take you into. Into that, a young boy about 15 or 16 years old is delivering, would you believe it, cheese. He's coming in to take cheeses and some, some drink and some other stuff, some bread for the soldiers. So he arrives, young guy, teenager, and, and his dad had said, they're, they're, up, they're in a battle, go take this to the person who's in charge of supplies. So you imagine a teenager going into the area of war, trepidation, maybe fear, maybe a sense of excitement, I'm gonna see some action, I can't be involved because I'm too young, but I'm gonna see what's going on. And the Bible says he walks in just at the moment that Goliath is standing here shouting out his defiance. That's a great moment to arrive in. And he hurriedly leaves his supplies with the man in charge of supplies, runs in, starts talking to his brothers. But this is what David asks when he hears. Now, what I'm interested in, I want to get your attention on is, how does a 15, 16-year-old boy have a reflex response like this is my question. 15, 16 years old, everybody else is running away. This is his reflex. It's not like, let me go pray for a day or two. 
It's not like, and it's just his kind of in the moment response. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I don't know if you catch that. I mean, 15, 16 years old, teenager, everybody else is running away. It is not a light-hearted moment. Everybody else is terrified. I mean, they are, the other soldiers are soldiers. They know what they're doing. They've been in battle. They've seen the horrors of war. They're running away. David is asking, what, what's the reward for the person who takes this giant out? He's already asking, what's the reward? What do I get for taking him down? I don't know about you, but that surprises me. Anybody else? Just like, how do you get that big on the inside? Uh, we know, you read the story on, it's not arrogance, it's not pride, it's not youthful zeal, it's not youthful ignorance, he doesn't really know what's coming. He, he's assessed the situation correctly, he knows exactly what's happening, and his immediate reflex response to one of the greatest challenges before him is, do I get a prize for taking this one down? I mean, I, I think that's a crazy response. We read that because we know the story and we just think, oh yeah. But actually, it takes a certain kind of person to have a reflex response like that. Because we all face giants. We all face challenges. We all have people that may not like us, may shout a defiance to us. We may have a financial challenge. We may have a spiritual battle where we are. What's our response when the giant throws out a defiance to us? Much of our culture, we complain, we blame, we want to hide. We want to say, does somebody else want to take this one on? <laughs> David's like, it wasn't his job. He's not a soldier. He assumes responsibility, says, I can take care of this one. I think I'm preaching a little bit better than you're kind of engaging with me right now. <laughs> Just help the Indian a little bit. Thank you. And when David is eventually, because of all his talking, he's taken before Saul. He says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Humility, stepping in the breach, doing what's needed. It wasn't his role. Nobody would have expected him to step in there. Nobody would have thought him any lesser just to walk away and observe. Because that's what they were doing. But he actually stepped into the gap. You can only do that when you're big on the inside. I don't care how big you look on the outside. I don't care how feisty you are with your mouth or how cool your clothes are or how much you bench press. How big are you on the inside? It's what really matters. How big is your spirit man? You fast forward like 13 chapters and you know the story, he takes Goliath down anyway and you know the story, takes Goliath's sword, chops his head off and so I'm not going to go into the whole story. Fast forward uh, 13 chapters and you, David now has 600 men, he's an outlaw, Saul doesn't like him, Saul's trying to kill him, there's a price on his head and uh, David and his 600 men return to their village Ziglag. And when they return, the village has been burned to the ground. There's nothing left. All of their families have been kidnapped. All of their goods have been stolen. Children, wives, 
uh, everything they owned taken and their homes burnt to the ground. That's a pretty bad day. You get not just for one person, but the entire 600 men. And it actually says that the men wept aloud until they had no more strength left to weep. Hardy, mercenary kind of soldiers uh, wept aloud. Everything they had ever lived for, worked for, families, possessions, everything gone in a foul swoop. And they're, they're broken. And, and then in verse, chapter 30, verse 6, it says, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of the sons and daughters, ones that have been kidnapped. David was greatly distressed. Anybody ever been greatly distressed? Anybody just been slightly distressed? Um, anybody had a day this bad? And not only is the day bad, I mean, if you back up in the story, they'd had a bad few days. Now they have this go wrong. Not only is this going wrong, now David's own team, people that he'd given identity to, purpose to, he'd helped them, he'd gathered them together, they came to him to help him. Now they're picking up stones saying, it's his fault that my wife's gone, my kid's maybe dead, my house burnt down. And these guys had no hesitation in taking a life. And the Bible says they, David was greatly distressed because they are talking of stoning him. I don't care how great David is, if these men turned on him, he doesn't stand. Some of his men were greater than him physically. What does David do? What would I do? Call a time out. Let's have a meeting. Let's tell them this is the devil, not me. Let's, I mean, there's a load of stuff we could get into. Blame, accuse. This is what David does. Even though he's greatly distressed, reflex response, but David found strength in the Lord his God. Wow. I think in the King James it says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. That sentence on its own is worth kind of just pondering, taking away. David encouraged, he had no MP3 player, he had no songs, he had no books, he had no preacher nearby. He had nobody to give him a quick talk and say, would you help me? He already had strength in his spirit and even though he's distressed, the literal Hebrew, I've been told, I'm not a theologian, but it, the, the picture that it paints is David leaned into God. David encouraged himself in, to, in the Lord. David leaned into God in that moment. Again, what would your reflex response be if everything you owned was burnt to the ground and everybody you loved was kidnapped and you don't know yet who took them, where they've taken them and how long they've been gone? because you were away from home when it happened. And there is no such thing as the police. And there are no such things as rules and laws. You're an outlaw yourself. What would be your reflex response? Think of a lesser issue that you may have faced in the last few weeks, months. What's your response? The real challenge, I think for all of us, is how big are we on the inside? David found strength in the Lord his God. How can a young man have such strength, fortitude, pull himself together and then lead these men into bringing all the families back? He leaned into God. Do you know what it is to encourage yourself in the Lord? When it, not just on a great day, not just on a normal day, but on a distressing day, your worst day of your life, that you go to the one place immediately you know 
And in that place, his distress is taken away. And he actually gets the word of the Lord. He asks Abathur, the, the priest, to bring him the ephod. And they want to know, God, what do you want me to do? Do you want us to pursue and take back? Or is this it? And we've lost our families. Isn't that crazy thought? Before he wanted to know what God was saying, he wanted to encourage himself in God. I think sometimes we want direction before we have strength. We've got to learn to get strength before we get direction because otherwise we don't have strength to fulfill the direction. David encouraged himself first. He was like, I can't handle any decision making right now. I need to go be with him. Once I've been with him, I know I think straight. I know I tap into a higher power. I have divine energy on me. I know my peace will be restored. I do that. Now I come out and I still don't know what to do, but I want to ask God, what do you now want me to do? I think for many of us, I've learned this in my own life, the greatest thing I can do in moments of battle when there's confusion isn't try and find a way through. The first thing I need to do is to make sure I'm strengthened and encouraged in the Lord. My hope is in Him. My roots are going deep. I'm feeling His love and His joy, His presence and His hope inside of me. Now, tell me what you want me to do. I'm ready. Because I'm no longer, in the moments of confusion, you can be taken anywhere and your, your ability to discern will be slightly skewed because of the pain you're feeling. Anybody know what I mean by that? When you're in pain, you don't see clearly. If you have an offense against somebody, you don't see clearly. If you're upset, if you're angry, if you're intimidated, if you're jealous, you, your ability to discern will be off. I've had, this isn't in this message, but I've had the Lord having me pray for weeks now about a spirit of discernment, a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of revelation. Uh, Isaiah 11, 2 and 3, we may get to that, but it's actually a de description of the Holy Spirit on Jesus. A spirit of wisdom, understanding, uh, of counsel, of might in the inner man, uh, of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And all of it is the Spirit of God. And, and one of those things, well, I've been praying all of them, but I've realized the Lord is, is, last night in our prayer hub, I was there for a little while, and I felt the Lord just saying to me, Steve, you'll never be able to see clearly if you carry anything in you, offense, selfish ambition, if I want what I'm, the ministry I'm involved in to really succeed, if I want to make a name for myself, if I want something to, if I want my job, anything that becomes selfish, painful, hurt, uh, mistrust, unrighteous judgment, uh, you lust, anger, it, anything God tries to say to me will be seen through that lens. And so I felt the Lord saying to me, I want to raise up seers again, people who discern again, but they can only do it if they're willing to walk like dead men. So they, if, they, if they are willing to, don't care who knows their name, who doesn't know their name, what people think about them, if they don't care whether they're known on earth or not known on earth, that's a challenge for all of us because everybody wants to be liked and everybody wants to succeed in their particular field if we can let that die the father could really speak to us and we could see and not only for our own lives we could start to see for the nation for a region for an area true spiritual power would become resident in people like that so that's David's two examples. He, he actually found strength in the Lord. They won the battle. They brought those men back. Let me give you one from 300 years ago. Um, one of my uh, heroes, John Wesley. I'm going to give you some practical stuff about how you can get this, but I'm just setting a scene. 
This is an excerpt somebody had pulled together out of John Wesley's journal. 1700 and something, I don't know. But Sunday morning, May the 5th, preached in St. Anne's and was asked not to come back anymore. <laughs> Same day, Sunday p.m., May the 5th, preached at St. John's and deacons said, get out and stay out. May the 12th, preached at St. Jude's, can't go back there either. In the evening, May the 12th, preached at St. George's, kicked out again. Sunday morning, May the 19th, preached at another church. Deacons called a special meeting and said I couldn't return. Evening service, May the 19th, preached on the street, kicked off the street. Sunday morning, May the 26th, preached in Meadow, chased out of Meadow as bull was turned loose during the service. Sunday morning, June the 2nd, this is consecutive weeks, preached out at the edge of town, kicked off the highway. I mean, that's a bad month. I might decide, maybe I'm not called to preach. Maybe there's something wrong with my message. So that was June the 2nd morning. June the 2nd, Sunday p.m., afternoon service, preached in a pasture, 10,000 people came to hear me. So I asked myself, a guy that's less than five foot tall, having all of that persecution against him, most of the Church of England against him in the day, which is a, it's powerful today, but powerful in that day, kicked out of every single church he was preaching in, four Sundays running, morning and night, kicked off the street, kicked off the, what kind of person are you to get up again and go again? I don't know if anybody asks those questions. I'm like, what do you... His response when people asked him, why do people come and hear you preach? You know this, it's quoted so often, but in the context of what he went through, he said, I simply set myself on fire and the world comes to watch me burn. There's something going on on the inside of me that becomes irresistible to other humans. What have you got going on the inside of you? You know, when Jesus started his ministry, his very first sermon, they took him to the brow of a hill and they were going to throw him off. That's not a good day. You know, he's been waiting 30 years, preaches his first sermon and they're trying to kill him. He walked straight through the crowd supernaturally and they couldn't touch him. I think it happens twice in the Gospels where he was trying to, they tried to kill him and the crowd couldn't touch him. You read what the Pharisees tried to do. It says as soon as they heard him preach, they plotted to kill him. I mean, so how does Jesus as a 30-year-old faced with all the opposition around him just keep on going day by day? And, and I would take you to Isaiah 11, verse 2 and 3. And the, well, 2 especially, the spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom, understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the Lord. But I want to focus on the spirit of might. Have you ever asked the Lord, Lord, would you make me mighty in spirit? You may have asked for wisdom, you may have asked for understanding, but one of the descriptions here is, you know, I, I pray all of these pretty much every day since last August. And I've been saying, Lord, the whole wisdom revelation thing, we've been praying since about 2010. In nearly all of our prayer sessions, we're asking the Lord, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we know the hope to which we call, we know you better, we know the inheritance that's ours, and we know the power that's available for those who believe. 
There's something, you read Colossians, the same. He's asking that they would have wisdom of the knowledge of God. You see it in Thessalonians. You see it all over. Paul praying for people's eyes to be opened. So that's a common one. We pray a lot. And I think it may be one of the most important, though I'm not going to settle there today. But another one is that the Holy Spirit brings might, power uh, on the inside. I think that's what David experienced. I think it's what John Wesley experienced. I think it's what Jesus lived. And we can go on and on and on throughout history and throughout the Bible. People who were mighty on the inside. They had a hold on their tongue. They didn't need to complain when there was a problem. They didn't need to do anything with their mouth. They didn't need to pick up a phone to somebody. They were strong and they knew how to hold themselves because of the fortitude and spiritual strength on the inside. In fact, in Ephesians 3, the Apostle Paul, uh, 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 apostolic prayers, anybody come across that phrase? It's about 25. You should make it a habit to pray your way through. Praying the Bible is the most effective way to pray. Praying apostolic prayers is one of the most powerful things you can do. So the one I've just quoted to you from Ephesians 1, 17, 18, 19 is an apostolic prayer. Paul praying for the church at Ephesus for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. This one is in Ephesians 3. And this is Paul praying again. And he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power power through his spirit in your inner being so here's two prayers i've mentioned one in ephesians one here's one in ephesians three that paul is praying for the church at ephesus a church born in revival a church that built or kind of burnt all of these witchcraft books they were like a i, I i'm i'm really not a theologian but they were to, i'm told that you know hundred thousand strong church or more or anywhere from eighty thousand to about one hundred forty thousand in ephesus that, uh, the book of Ephesians, again, I'm told, is the only book he doesn't tell him off. Like, he's pretty upbeat throughout the whole book. So they're a good group of people. They've had revival in the way they were birthed. And he's praying for them that out of God's glorious riches, he would strengthen them with power through the Spirit in their inner being. That's a powerful phrase right there. I pray that out of his glorious riches... I normally stop there and say, Lord, what are those glorious riches? Where are they? It's like there's something somewhere and you're asking by the power of the Spirit, Paul's asking that Holy Spirit angels, I don't know, they're going to take some of those glorious riches, they're going to strengthen me with power through the Holy Spirit in my inner being so that Christ may dwell in my heart through faith. I don't even get all that, but I want it. It sounds like a bit theological, but if it's power and it's might and it's a work of the Spirit and it's from God's glorious riches, I, I pray this all the time. Give me power in my inner man. I don't want to crumble in front of problems. I don't want to have an emo emotional breakdown. I don't want to shake. I want to learn how to hold my tongue. Anybody? I, I want to know how not to go crazy. My, I, I don't want to have anxiety. So, Lord, would you strengthen me? Would you give me might on the inside by your spirit from glorious riches somewhere in the heavenly realm? Would you impart it to me today? I mean, I ask that with audacious, strong faith. I want that, Lord. Strategy alone isn't enough. Clever ideas aren't enough. In fact, yesterday, just I felt the Lord saying to me, Steve, you've got all this big thing. I do a big teaching on vision. I think most people do who are leading something. And I felt the Lord saying to me, it's not really about big vision and big this. And, you know, we're going to take the continent and we're going to take the world. And Proverbs 29, 18 is simply, if people can't see what God is up to, 
I love that translation. Rather than where there is no vision. I just want to see what God's up to and get involved. It, it saves me from an ego trip. Uh, Lord, what are you doing? Can I be involved? That's it. What are you doing? Can I be involved? And would you strengthen me on the inside and hold me steady? Let me go off my notes for a moment. I was reading Mark about 10 days ago and uh, I've had this challenge. It, 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 my, my daughter kind of did this in last year. And, but just in one sitting, read a whole book of the Bible. Uh, just, just read it all through. And there's something really powerful about reading great chunks of scripture in one go. It'll feed you, it'll grow you, it'll change your thinking. It forms a, a whole grid of thinking on the inside of you that nothing else can. It'll nourish you. So I get to the end of Mark's gospel, Mark's, so, so where, the whole, where Jesus is going to be crucified. And there's just this phrase, a mock trial, and then he's taken into, it says that the whole battalion come out. They strip him of his clothes. So uh, we've all heard news reports in, in the past where um, soldiers have treated prisoners horrifically. And I, I, I don't know why it happens. I guess some of the dysfunction of what the soldiers have seen and what they've been through causes them to mistreat others and get pleasure out of hurting innocent people in prison. So I'm thinking Roman soldiers who know nothing about what's happening in, in the Jewish times at the time, but here's a prisoner, just happens to be Jesus. The whole battalion comes out. They mock him, spit on him, pull out the hair in his beard, put a crown of thorns on him, strip him of his clothes, put a, a fake garment, purple garment on him, put a staff in his hand and pretend, oh, you say you're a king? Now, here's what challenged me. Jesus, with a thought, could wipe out the whole battalion. I mean, not even say a word or flick a finger, just think it. The one who holds all things by the power of his word, everything is held, Colossians 1, together by him. He could, in that moment, say anything he wants to say, think anything, wipe them all out. They're mocking him. So I asked myself, what kind of meekness is he demonstrating? If meekness is power under control, what kind of meekness is that? I think it's another sign of big on the inside, mighty on the inside. He holds himself and like a sheep led to the slaughter, says nothing. I don't know if that astounds anybody else. The creator of the universe mocked, beaten, ridiculed, spat upon, just stays quiet. Especially when he's got the power to do something. I mean, just take one of them out. Lift them up, twirl them around, smack them on the floor. I just want to show you that I could if I wanted to, but I'm being kind. Nothing. Just held steady. That's meekness. Meekness is power under control. We've all got power. We've got power in our words. We've got power in how we send our emails. We've got power in, we, we, you know, you're over somebody. We've all got power. Do you know how to exercise your power under control? It's about being big on the inside. And I, I've been saying to the Lord privately, Lord, I want to be a person that holds everything you've given to me just under your direction. If you say move, I'll move. If you say don't move, I won't move. Even when all the pressure around me wants me to move, all my own flesh wants me to react, I won't do it unless you give me permission to move. 
It's Jesus saying, I only do what I see my father doing. I, I only say what I hear my father saying. It, it really, the whole challenge is, what are we like on the inside? How big are we on the inside? Take Jesus on the cross. He's on the cross. People are now walking past. Blood coming down his hands. Huge amounts of pain. If you ever want to provoke somebody, this is the most painful moment of the entire thing. And they're spitting on him again and saying, you said you would raise the dead. You said you would write you, all the accusations coming out. Here's Jesus' response. Says nothing to them. So he takes their accusation. It dies in him. Doesn't defend himself. Says nothing. And then what rises from him is, Father, would you forgive them? They don't know what they're doing. That's a big man right there. And that's somebody with a big spirit. So the principle is, when you feel accused, absorb it, let it die in you, and let intercession rise from you. When you're accused, absorb other people's immaturity, absorb it, let it die, and let intercession rise from your lips. It's how Jesus lived for us. I think it's Francis Frangipane, American author, who said something like, when you endure injustice quietly like Christ, don't say anything, you grow in your authority. You, you don't grow in authority with a, somebody giving you a role. You don't grow in your authority because you saw more people saved. You don't grow in your authority because you get to preach at some big places. You grow, through, you grow in authority when you go through a tough time and you respond like Jesus would. Uh, Smith Wigglesworth used to say, every trial is a lifting place to greater glory. Every trial is a lifting place. So I asked the Lord when I'm going through a difficult time, what are you trying to teach me? And I won't go through the trial that I've, I, I, the last 10 days, it's not a great trial, but I felt some pain in my own heart over some personal circumstances. And uh, I, I've, I only voiced them to kind of two people just yesterday. That was it. So I've not voiced it anywhere. And we were in a prayer meeting. So I said, would you pray for me over this? Because I felt the pain of it. And I'm not sure what God's trying to do in me. But my response to God is, I'm feeling this. And I don't know why. But would you help me to grow in what you want me to grow in? Rather than defend myself, say something to somebody else. Teach me what it is to be like Jesus or David or John Wesley, or a thousand other people throughout history that have been big on the inside. I should really give you the application, so I'm sorry. Just Here's the application. I'm going to, well, let's see where we go. Jeremiah 6.16. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. Stand at the crossroads and look. I would maybe suggest to all of us that there's a potential crossroads before us today. In other words, you've got options. You can go forward. You can carry on as though you never heard this message. And you can just carry on with business as usual and be happy where you're at. You can go straight. You could go left. 
You could go right, you could go back. But at least take, I would suggest, take a moment to pause. And ask, so you, you, you stand, you look, in other words, you ponder. I, I've been doing this quite a bit personally. Am I happy? If I carry on like I am, as a person, forget ministry, as a person, if I carry on as I am, with my current habits, what I watch, what I listen to, who am I around, my disciplines, my thirst or hunger for the Lord or lack of it. Fast forward five or ten years from now, will I be happy where I'm at? It's a good thing to ask. Stop. Some of us are so busy, we never take an MOT of ourselves. Take ourselves in, stop everything. We never power down. Um, So you have to stop, you look, and you ask. The asking is for the ancient paths. I think God's inviting people to start walking ancient paths again. The challenge is to walk the ancient paths. We can't live the lifestyles that we may have chosen to live. I can't be in as many meetings. I can't take as many engagements. I can't solve everybody else's pastoral issue if I'm going to walk some of the ancient paths. I can't stay up late at night and watch some of the things I may want to watch, though I don't do that, but I'm just saying. If I'm going to walk the ancient paths, there's a price to pay to walk the ancient paths. This is not your salvation. Don't, some people would say to me, you're, you're preaching legalism. Uh, no, no, I'm just saying God gave me life. The Holy Spirit lives inside of me. My gift back to God is I want to take what you've given me and give you something really pleasing back. Every promise in Christ, hot, the Holy Spirit lives in me. I mean, how can I even say that without my mind being blown? This is the mystery. I was reading it on the way here. Colossians 2. This is the mystery hidden for ages past. Christ in you. Colossians 1 and 2. The hope of glory. The, the uncreated God now takes up residence inside of humans. Oh, we know that one. Really? Your faith in that, your expectation will determine what you have. I, I really just don't want to be a worker. I want to be a lover. Absolutely captivated by the king. I pledge allegiance to him. The whole of my life to grow in the knowledge of who he is. It's not popular today. Very few people preach about the fear of the Lord, the knowledge of God, or even use the scriptures that I'm talking to you, but this is our gospel. Read the epistles and tell me if you see another gospel. You won't find it. I, I think sometimes I'm too clever for my own good. I, I, you should see all the great business books I've got on Audible app. The latest ones coming out, I've listened to them all. I know how to strategize, I know the development of my personal habits, I know how to maximize my time. And God is saying, just be careful here, son. Because you could end up embracing what Colossians 2 says, a human philosophy 
impregnated with demonic influence, but it sounds good. And because somebody may open their Bible and quote a verse and then preach a human philosophy, but it's not founded on Christ, we will be in trouble if we do that. It's a house made of cards. We then have to sustain our lives, sustain our ministries, sustain our resources, and we fall apart. I think it's time to embrace the ancient paths. I just like the phrase, ancient paths. I'm like, where are they? Can I walk them? Would you take me? And Jeremiah 6.16, I see it as God holding out his hand. And he's just saying in 2019, anybody want to come take a walk with me? Walking ancient paths with me. Anybody want to come take a walk with me? And I don't have time to go into them, but I'll give you the three without giving you the, the message behind each one. I think the first pathway is consecration. I used to say the first pathway would be the Bible, and then it would be prayer, and then purity. But I realized many people never settled the question of consecration. Jesus was never Lord. He was always just Savior. He was a, he was a way to get to heaven. But actually, you can't divide, separate his lordship from his saviorhood. He's either Lord or he's not really. He's either Lord of everything or he's not Lord of anything. I have found so many Christians today want to negotiate. They want to negotiate with God what they can keep and what they shouldn't keep. Now, some people would think I'm going to be old school here for a second. Let me be old school and let me maybe be hated. But I think some of what Christians are watching on TV breaks the heart of God, the violence, the sexual perversion. And we say, oh, it's just our cultures like that. It doesn't bother me. I just, it's just entertainment. And I would say, really? Really? You think Jesus is good with that when he would say separate yourselves have nothing to endure he, he said when you're saving some people he said do it with fear he said do it with mercy for them and fear for yourself that you don't get contaminated I, 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 I would rather live pure and I get to heaven he said oh you could have watched whatever I'm being careful not to mention names of series that I know Loads of Christians are watching, and they always almost make it cool to say, oh, don't be so spiritual. I would say if anybody tries to talk you out of your spirituality, they're normally doing it because they're trying to excuse their lack of spirituality. If somebody says to you, oh, don't, don't be so holy, if anybody, I, I've, said that, I've seen this so many times. People talk other people out of giving to the Lord financially because they, they, they feel challenged themselves. If you give that much, if you're going to make that sacrifice, what does that mean for what I have to do? If you don't watch that, I feel now like, man, well, feel the condemnation, the guilt, whatever it is yourself, but never stop anybody else for living all out for Jesus. Don't excuse them. Don't say no. I mean, encourage them, stir them, spur them onto that. So I think consecration is the very first one. Have I ever come to a place where I've given Jesus everything? I, I found out that I'm doing it almost every day for the last few years. And I'm saying to the Lord, Lord, I really, everything is yours. 
If you want to use me, you can. If you want to hold me in obscurity, that's okay. Because at the end of the day, when I stand before you, what you say really matters. What anybody else ever said before then really doesn't matter. Consecration is an old-fashioned word. We don't use it a lot nowadays. But it's just simply that you realize if, it was, if something was consecrated, it's set apart wholly. You are a holy people set apart to God. I think Peter says that. A holy people, a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Wow, that's you. You get to carry him. The king lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit wants to activate far more gifts in you than you realize. He wants to give you more authority to walk in. The authority isn't just yours because you got saved. Go into all the world, preach your good news, make disciples, and lo, I am with you always. All authority given to me. He didn't say all authority given to me, now I give you authority. He said all authority given to me, now you go and I'll be with you. So my take on it, you grow in authority to the degree that the king lives in you. You grow in authority to the degree that the king lives inside of you. That's why some people's prayers, when they pray, you're like, wow, they've been with God. Other people pray, you can tell they're bored. Why? Because they've not built a personal history with God. They don't know him. Their inner man isn't strong. Let me finish with one quote. I really haven't given you the three applications, but you're smart enough this is, this is a quote by William Penn. You won't, you won't be able to write it down, I don't think, because it's a bit long, I think. I may not even be able to find it now. This is William Penn speaking about George Fox. George Fox wrote, I think it was um, George Fox quote description. If I don't find it, I'm sorry. No, I've got the wrong quote there. Here's what he said, William Penn. He said something like, the most awesome, living, reverent thing I have ever beheld in my life were the prayers of George Fox. He said he prayed like a man who lived near to God. I, I don't do it justice, but it was this sense of when he prayed, it's like heaven entered the room. I don't know if you've read this story about Wigglesworth when he prayed and heaven entered the room and there was this group of elders in a vestry, they couldn't stay in the room. They were weeping and one of them looked back, Wigglesworth standing praying and he was crying, tears streaming down his face, this guy, he was on his chair, then on the floor and he crawled out the room and he said, I look back at a man standing in glory that few men can breathe in. I, I, all I'm trying to say is I don't think we realize what we carry and what's available. We are far too easily satisfied. I have to dig way into history and the epistles and the book of Acts to awaken thirsting and hunger in me because I don't see around me very often. Everybody's keen to build their ministry, their church, their profile. It's all blowing in the wind. It really is. What's done for the king is what matters. Father, I pray for us. My time's gone, but I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would take a moment and stop, look, ask for the ancient paths.
and that we would walk in them. The pathway of consecration. The pathway of the word. I pray that you'd raise up a generation who fall in love with your word again. Men and women that won't be afraid to live holy lives, even at the criticism of other Christians. That they, they may be ridiculed by others, but they'll choose a lifestyle of holiness. And would you teach us what it is to become a praying people where our prayers carry weight and heaven comes into the room when we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support or even get involved with one of our teams. 